It's like, I never thought we'd be doing that. Well, it's great to see you, uh, especially maybe those who um, uh, you weren't here at the beginning, you're here now. As I said right at the beginning, we're pretty full here. Uh, so you might need to squeeze up a little bit because I think there's a lot of people around the back and uh, along the sides. Uh, it's a bit hot tonight. Hopefully it's going to cool down without rain. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, I really want to talk tonight. I'm not going to take too long, I hope. That's the plan. Uh, it, I really want to talk about my favorite subject, which as it happens is not food. Uh, it's Jesus. And uh, I just want to talk about who he is and uh, we're going to look at it from an in, a couple of incidents in John's Gospel. In the mornings, we're going to be looking at John's story of Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he told people, and they wrote down his stories about being with Jesus. And uh, I just want to uh, talk about uh, Jesus' first miracle, really. And before I talk about it, just in case you don't know about it, uh, I'm going to get uh, Crofty to come and uh, read it. And it's found in John chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1. I don't know if we can get that up on the screen. I didn't warn Yes, I did warn you. So that's all right. Andy. John chapter 2 verse 1 says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood sticks, stone, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some of the water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Mike. Great, thank you, mate. Now, John wrote his gospel, um, he, he, the story of Jesus, and he's not ashamed to say, he says right at the end, he says, there's many more stories I could have written, there's many more things about Jesus I could have said, but what we've, what we've written down here, what we've said, is so that you might believe that you might believe who he is. And that was John's purpose. And uh, the first, uh, now there's lots of miracles that Jesus did, but the first miracle in John's gospel, sorry, in John's gospel, John lists seven. There are seven signs. And Jesus did more than that. We read the rest of them in the other gospels. And there are others that he did that probably weren't written down. But there are seven. And this is Jesus' first miracle. And honestly, when I first uh, saw this, uh, I was puzzled. I thought, what a weird first miracle. And I thought, I, you know, I remember sort of kind of saying to myself, or saying to Jesus really, Lord, what, why'd you do this as your first miracle? Uh, it seems a bit of an anticlimax. 
You know, if, if you had a good public relations consultant, they'd have told you, for your first miracle, raise someone from the dead. Make a statement. You know, say something. Or feed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. Um, and then you can, you can make sermons out of that. But his first miracle, it seems like an anticlimax. Because it, it comes across like, well, he, he was at a party. He was at a, um, a, a wedding banquet. And they ran out of wine. And so he kind of went, made some wine to sort out a social faux pas. Because it was embarrassing. And at first sight, you get the impression that Jesus only did it because his mum had a go at him. And I mean, it says it here. She says, um, uh, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, isn't that typical of a mum? Isn't it? They don't tell you what they want. They don't say it clearly. Like, they don't say, can you load the dishwasher? They say, oh, the dishwasher needs loading. They don't say, can you get the shopping from the car? They say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in the car. And Jesus' mum was no different. She says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' response is great. He says, just like any stroppy teenager, he says, what's that God do with me? Jesus', Jesus mum says, they've run out of wine. And then Jesus says, woman. <laughs> I love that. If I said that to my mum, she'd kill me. <laughs> woman, not even dear woman. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. And then he says something really weird. He says, my hour has not yet come. It's like, what's that about? You know, it's like, <laughs> no, my hour has... I tried that once. When my mum asked me to load the dishwasher, I said, mum, my hour has not yet come. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> And what was Jesus saying? Would well, you know every other time in John's Gospel that speaks about Jesus' hour, it speaks about the hour of his death. Every other time, that's what it means. So another way we could translate it is Jesus' mum says to him at the wedding party, they've run out of wine. And then Jesus says, it's not my time to die yet. What's going on? Would well, you know, I come to realize more recently that this first miracle this story is not an accident it wasn't there as a like a, a little a little mistake actually the whole story of Christianity is in this story everything uh, now I'm I know this is going to be hard to believe but I'm 55 now I it's amazing I wear well don't I it's uh, it's incredible and uh, this is even harder to believe. I'm 55 and... Don't start. I'm, I'm, I'm 55 and I'm still single. I am not yet married. No, no, no. How I escaped is a mystery. Even to me. People want to write books about it. How did this hunk of a man get away? But I am 55 and st still single. Don't patronise me over there. And... And I have been to hundreds and hundreds of weddings. I've been to more weddings than I have had hot dinners. And believe me, I have had loads of hot dinners. But I've been, I think, to even more weddings. And uh, uh, actually, actually, I, I found some photos of a, a, a very average wedding of a very ordinary couple um, uh, that I just have going as I'm talking to you now. 
Um, there's the first one. I don't know if you can recognize them. Should we move on? Should we go a little faster? That's still the same. Doesn't he look a burk? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, in, um, uh, I've, I've been to loads of these weddings. Oh, they've gone now. Can we just have them on one after the other with about four second intervals? Or is it gone? I think the computer's crashed. I think there must have been a virus in that photo. Or maybe that photo was a virus. Uh, but anyway, um, I have been... Oh, shut up. I have been to... Um, oh, that's me. I, I was best... I was best man, and that's what he did to me. I was feeling threatened. Uh, and I have been to so many flipping weddings. And I tell you, as a single person... Um, I, I think every person who's single who goes to a wedding, at some stage in their wedding, in the wedding they go to, they start thinking, I wonder what my wedding would be like. Oh, we wouldn't do that at my wedding. Oh, I might do that. And all of that stuff. I just wonder if Jesus was sitting at this wedding party as a single man thinking, I wonder what my wedding would be like. And then Jesus' mum says to Jesus, they've run out of wine. And then Jesus says, it's not my time to die yet. And then he turns the water into wine anyway by the gallon. I mean, barrels of the flipping stuff. I mean, enough, enough to get a football team drunk. I mean, it was like, it was ridiculous. And what he did was he, he, he took the stone water jars that were used the water in them was for ceremonial washing. That was they would wash themselves as symbolizing that they would be cleansed from their sin. And he says to the servants, take a cup, put it into one of the jars and take the cup to the chief of um, master of ceremonies and give it to him. Now the servants would have been petrified because water that would have been in those jars would have been stagnant. It would have been dirty because of what were the jars were used for. And they took it to him. And then he drinks it and he says, this is amazing. And then he says to the bridegroom, do you know, everyone else gives out the best wine first and then the plonk from Asda, they give last when everyone's had too much to drink. You have saved the Chateau Neuf de Pape to last. This is amazing. Now, a little bit of, 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 of story here. The only job a bridegroom had to do for a wedding in those days was provide the drink. Everyone else did everything else. The bride and her family did everything else. The master of ceremonies did loads of stuff. The only job a bridegroom 2,000 years ago in Israel had to do was provide the wine. And this stupid, thick, idiotic, moronic bridegroom couldn't even do that. The one thing he had to do, he couldn't even do that. And so Jesus rescues him. And... and, and, and and the master of ceremonies is saying, this, this wine is amazing, is spectacular. What's going on? I think Jesus was looking ahead to his wedding. Because do you know, if you read the end of the Bible, it says that there's, at the end of the age, there's going to be a marriage feast. There's going to be a wedding party to end all wedding parties. And he was thinking, what do I need to provide for my wedding? I'm going to be the bridegroom. And the bridegroom needs to provide the wine. 
So do you know when he turned water into wine at this party, he was saying, I'm going to provide more than enough wine for my wedding party at the end of the day, at the end of the age, because the wine will be my blood. That's why he said, my time to die has not yet come. Because he knew that in just three years' time, he was going to die on the cross and shed his blood. And at the end of this week, on the last morning, we're going to take communion, a feast, a festival um, uh, that Christians have done all over the world for 2,000 years. And we're going to eat some bread and we're going to drink some wine. And it's going to be to us, it's going to represent to us the body and the blood of Jesus. Why? Because when he shed his blood, it was for us to be reconciled to God because the human race walked away from him. The human race turned away and we've ended up in a bit of a mess. We've ended up damaging our planet, damaging our relationships, damaging one another. Many of us here are damaged because of the way we've hurt each other as a human race. And you know what Jesus says? You know, I've not come to condemn you. I've come to save you. I've come to make it right. So he came. He came to die on a cross. And that's what he was saying here. He was saying, I'm going to provide the wine for my party. Now, what happens in this story is the bridegroom in the story, the master of ceremonies goes up to him and he says, he says, man, you've left the best wine till last. This is amazing stuff. And the bridegroom goes, oh, oh yeah, oh, thanks. When the idiot, the idiot, he'd run out of wine. He didn't leave the best till last. It was going to be water. It was going to be dirty water. Do you see what happened? That bridegroom took the credit for something that Jesus did. Jesus did the miracle and he took the credit. That seems so unfair. And yet, and yet, that's the only way any of us can ever get to heaven by taking the credit for what Jesus did. What Jesus did on the cross, we take the credit for. Jesus died in our place. Jesus died so we would live. Jesus shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus died and rose from the dead so that we could have life. And that's what he's saying in this story. That's what he's emphasizing in this story. Now, I tell you, I've been to hundreds of weddings, hundreds of weddings. And you know my favorite bit of a wedding is, is when the bride comes down the aisle. And when everyone's looking at the bride, do you know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at the bridegroom. Because I'm thinking, is he going to cry? Is he going to cry? I think he's going to cry. And usually, because all the people in my church, they're all, all the guys are wimps, so they usually end up crying. <laughs> and, and all that. And, and it's kind of, you kind of love watching it, even though you hate watching it. And do you know, I've been to hundreds of weddings, and I have yet to see, I have never yet seen in hundreds of weddings, one ugly bride. Never once, never once have I seen an ugly bride. Even those that in real life for a little bit. You know, on their wedding day, I'm thinking, flipping it, what happened to you? Look at you, you look all right, how did that happen? And you know, I think that's what happens with loads of the bridegrooms. You know, when, when she comes down the aisle and she looks spectacular, he's thinking, oh, my. You know, it's like, what the heck? And do you know why? Do you know why every bride looks wonderful? It's because she's been, she's been getting her shape right for months. 
She's been working on it, working out and working everything else. And, 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 the, and the dress has been specially made to fit every contour. The, the bridesmaids' dresses are there to offset the bride. She's been practicing the makeup with her friends. Do you know, do you know when Will married Kate a few years ago, the whole country went berserk like they did about George getting bored. And, uh, and, and it was, everyone was going mad and I was just fed up with it. I thought, what a waste of time. Every, the whole country's gone stupid. And when it came to the Saturday of the wedding and everyone was going, I thought, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to do something useful with my time. I'm going to go gardening or... Or something. And, uh, and, I, and I thought in the morning, I thought, I'll just switch it on for a moment. Just to have a quick look before I go into the garden. And I was there all day. I sat there in front of the TV all day. But do you know, in the morning, I promise you this is true. They had this interview on the BBC. They had this interview with Kate's two hairdressers. There was two of them. And, uh, and they, said, they said that they had gone to her house every week every week for the last six months to try out different hairstyles and to work out exactly how she was going to look every week for the last six months flipping heck no wonder she looked like that and you know everyone just gets gets everything ready and just to look their absolute best well do you know at the end of the age there's going to be a wedding party there's going to be a wedding to end all weddings and Jesus is going to be the bridegroom. Do you know who's going to be the bride? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Me. <laughs> the only thing that slightly spoils it is so are you. We're going to be the bride. And do you know when you look at us now, you know, like the church, we're, we're full of zits. We're full of bits hanging off and, and all of that. But do you know on that day, on that day, when we walk down the aisle, we will be pure and spotless without blemish, it says in the Bible. Do you know why? Because we will be clothed in his righteousness. He's going to clothe us in his righteousness. And when we walk down the aisle, Jesus is going to say, that's just what I wanted. That's just what I died for. I wanted them. I wanted to spend eternity with them. He came to earth to win a bride. He came to to earth to win a people. He came to earth to die on a cross and to rise from the dead for us, for us. And do you know, do you know, the, I love it that Jesus' first miracle was at a party. It was at a flipping party. Everything was going on. And, and you see, we think there's a misunderstanding. People think that Christianity, oh, be, become a Christian and be bored the rest of your life. Even worse, become a Christian and be good the rest of your life. And here's how we define good. Boring. Good equals boring. Become a Christian and drink orange squash and eat quiche forever. Forever. I mean, if that's what it means to be a Christian, let me die now. <laughs> But it's not, because that's not how Jesus was. You see, Jesus was not religious. Jesus was not boring. Jesus was alive, and he loved parties. He loved 
flipping love parties. And do you know one of the things that I love the most about Jesus? There's loads of things I love about Jesus. But one of the things I love the most is he loved food. He did. Do you know how many times in the Gospels it says, I've got a friend called Conrad. And Conrad has written a book. And it's called, I promise you no lie, it's, he's a lecturer at London School of Theology, Conrad Gempf. And the title of the book is Mealtime Habits of the Messiah. He wrote a book about the, the meals Jesus ate. There's loads of them. Every other chapter in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is eating. He fed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic for goodness sake. You don't do that if you don't like food. <laughs> he was invited to banquets. In fact, loads of Jesus' stories, his parables of the kingdom was, you know, there was, there was a party, there was a feast, there was a wedding, and he, everyone got invited to eat. You know, he ate the last supper with his disciples. It was a supper. And then he had a resurrection breakfast with his disciples. The last thing he did before he went to the cross was he had dinner with his disciples. The first thing he did when he rose from the dead is he cooked them breakfast. That's my God. And you see, it's more than that. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in its fullness. Have it abundantly. My friend Crofty, he tells a story, but I tell it better. And he tells a story of, of how he, um, uh, he went to his first and uh, one and only Orthodox Jewish wedding. And it was friends of his called Harris and Miriam. They got married and they were friends from university. And when he got there to his first ever Orthodox Jewish wedding, it had the menu and it said, uh, first of all, there's going to be the marriage ceremony. Then there's going to be a meal. And then it said there will be a time of spontaneous dancing. And Andy was curious. He thought, how do, you, how do you have a time of spontaneous dancing? How do you organise that? Well, after the wedding ceremony, after the meal, they started clearing the tables. And because it was Orthodox Jewish, all the men started gathering over here. And all the women started gathering over here. And there was this sense of expectancy, like something was about to break. Everyone was getting excited. And little Crofty, he stood on the edge of the dance floor and he was thinking, what's going on? Something's about to happen. And Harris, the little Jewish bridegroom, he was standing in the middle of the men and Miriam, uh, the bride, was standing in the middle of the women and then someone bought a glass and they put it on the floor in front of Harris, the bridegroom. And then everyone went quiet and suddenly Harris went like this and he smashed the glass and suddenly the whole place went berserk. They all started running around each other, twirling around each other, lifting each other up, throwing each other. And Andy stood on the edge of the dance floor and he thought, they're mad. They've all gone mad. This is crazy. But somehow they all seem to know what they're doing. And they were running and running around each other. And then as Andy looked, some of the guys picked up Harris, the little Jewish bridegroom, and they threw him into the air. And when they threw him into the air, Harris went like this. He went, yeah. And then they caught him. And then they threw him into the air again. And Harris went, yeah. And then they caught him. And then as Andy was standing there looking, suddenly Harris disappeared. And Andy thought, oh no, my little Jewish friend, he's tripped over and they're trampling him to death. 
Do I get in there and rescue him? And then Crofty thought, no, 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 I might die. So he stayed on the edge of the dance floor because he's a wimp. And... <laughs> And then Andy was looking, he was thinking, where's Harris, where's Harris? And after a few minutes, Harris, the bridegroom, reappeared. And he leapt up right in front of Andy. And he got hold of Andy. And he threw him into the centre of the dance floor. Where my friend, who is English, and therefore challenged when it comes to movement had to join in the dance and little Crofty said for the first few minutes he kind of didn't know what to do and he was embarrassed but literally after a few moments he forgot himself and he just felt the joy of everyone else and he said I was running around and twirling and going berserk with the best of them. Do you know that's the best picture I have heard in ages of what it means to be a Christian of what Christianity is meant to be. It's an invitation to a flipping party. It's an invitation to a dance of joy. You see, there's been a dance going on in heaven forever between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, a dance of love, a dance of joy. And then there came a moment in eternity where the eternal Son, the Bridegroom, came to the edge of the dance floor to welcome us in. I can't tell you exactly when it was, but it was about 2,000 years ago. I can't tell you exactly where it was, but I believe it was on a hill outside of Jerusalem when God came to earth to the edge of the dance floor to welcome us into the party. And you know what? That's the best description of what, of what telling others about Jesus is meant to be. It's an invitation to a party. You see, on, on the day of Pentecost, we're going to look at that later in the week, um, when after Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his followers, to the disciples, he said, stay here and wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when God, you see, the Holy Spirit is my presence, said Jesus. When my presence, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, then you'll have power to tell others about me and to live for me. Well, on the day of Pentecost, you can read it in the book of Acts, in the Bible, in chapter two, the Holy Spirit came on them. And do you know what happened? It says they spilled out into the streets, declaring the wonders of God in many different languages. Suddenly a crowd gathered and some people said, they're drunk, they're drunk. And then Peter gets up and he preaches the first ever evangelistic talk in the history of the church. And I love this. The first ever evangelistic talk in the history of the church begins with the words, we're really not drunk. Oh, that we would have to begin our explanations of Christianity today with we're really not drunk, right, instead of we're really not boring. You see, it's an invitation to life. Jesus came that we might have life in all of its fullness. And that's the invitation tonight. And you know, we've turned that invitation to this. If you want to become a Christian, come and stand at the front. Say this prayer after me. No, 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 Amen. Okay, you've said it now. Now, you better keep your nose clean. You better not do naughty things because God is watching you. And so are we. And if you live a pretty boring life, then you should just get in at the end. Ha ha ha. No wonder no one's interested. That's not it. 
That's not it. It's an invitation to a party. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask anyone here. Maybe your friends dragged you here. They do every year. And they told you some lies. They told you that this was a music festival. And you've already realised this is not a music festival. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Do you know, there was one group, they, they, they had a friend who was a Buddhist, and, and they really wanted their friend to come to Soul Survivor, so they lied to him, and they told him it was a Buddhist convention. <laughs> he, they did. And he came to the first meeting, and he looked at me, and for a moment he thought I was the Buddha. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. And... And it may be you came here, your friends brought you, and it may be you've hanging, been hanging around church, but you've never met Jesus. Guys, Christianity is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about having a living, fantastic, amazing relationship with God that changes your whole life. Christianity is about Christ. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. If you take Christ out of Christian, what have you got left? Ian. Ian can't help you. Don't go to Ian, go to Christ. Don't take Christ out of Christian because you've only got Ian and Ian is usually a waste of space. It's Christ. It's Jesus. This festival is all about Jesus. What we want, Christianity is all about Jesus. And he invites you. And I finish with this. I land with this. And then we're there. And then I'm going to ask anyone, even if it's on the first night, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to be, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and stand here. <laughs> but we're not going to do it in a, you better get here. Turn or burn. Well, it's not that. It's not that. It's if you, if you, if you want to join a party, get here. If you want to join a party that lasts forever because it's a party of love, it's a party of joy, then you better get here. But we're going to do that. But before we do, this was Jesus' first miracle in John's Gospel. Do you know his last sign, his last miracle in John chapter 11? He raised this guy Lazarus from the dead. I love it. I love it. They came and told him, your friend Lazarus is dead. And he said, oh, is he? Oh dear, how sad, never mind. And then later on, when Lazarus has been dead for four days, Jesus turns up at the tomb and they're all crying. And do you know what Jesus does before he raises him from the dead? You read it, there's this one verse in John 11:35. It's just got two words. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. God wept for all his friends who were crying because they thought death was the end. And you know, Jesus entered their suffering and he enters your suffering and my suffering. If you've come to Soul Survivor and you're broken and you're hurting, he doesn't stand apart from it. He doesn't condemn it. He enters into it. He wants to come and be part of your life. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead and I love the way he did it. All right, he, he, he goes to the entrance of the, the tomb and there's this big stone. And then he says to the disciples, take the stone away. And they think, you must be mad. He's been in dead, dead four days, he'll be stinking. But they do it. 
And you know, tonight my prayer is that there are stones, there are rocks that are in front of some of us that have prevented us from coming to Jesus. Maybe stones of fear, maybe rocks of pain, maybe, maybe, maybe boulders of insecurity. I'm praying that the stones get rolled away. And then Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then he did. The dead man came to life. And then Jesus said to the disciples, take his grave clothes off. And you know, I'm praying. We're praying that tonight, dead people would come to life. People would, would meet Jesus for the first time. And then we're going to spend the rest of the week taking your grave clothes off. That doesn't mean I'm not saying we're going to have a nudity camp. It's not what we're saying at all. Keep your proper clothes off. But it's the stuff that's bound you. It's all the hurt and pain. God wants to heal you. And it's a journey. But the first thing that has to happen is your eyes have to be opened. The boulders in the way have to be taken away. Then the grave clothes come off after you come to life. That's it. That's it. There's so much I could say. And we're going to explain the rest, lots of other stuff as we go on. You can't say it all in one night. Because if I said it all in one night, you wouldn't come the next day. But I hope this is maybe enough.